Hello and welcome to the Drawcast Weather, everyone. I am Derek Kevra, local meteorologist for a TV station here in Detroit and the host of This Arm of Drawcast. There's weather, philanthropy, creative. We're taking a look at weather, really all things weather. We're going to look uh, big picture. We're going to look small picture. We're going to look at all pictures and we're going to have fun doing it. So joining me today, I am very excited to introduce Jack Nissen. He is a reporter for Fox 2 News. Uh, you've worked, Jack, at uh, Metro Times. Well, at least you've had pieces in Metro Times, in Great Lakes Now, and you have covered all different kinds of weather-related events. You've looked at uh, fish populations in Lake Superior, climate-based topics in the area, and one that I really want to talk about today, the Great Lakes water levels. Jack, welcome. Hello, Derek. How are you doing, sir? I am doing well. Uh, I, I love... So, Jack, you've described yourself on Twitter as a, quote, fan of the environment. Mm, and mm. I like that very much. Um, tell me a little bit about you, Jack, uh, wh- wh- where you went to school, what you studied, and how you got involved with the environment in the way that you are. So, I don't know if gifted is the right word, <laughs> but I will say I've always had an affinity for writing. I think that, you know, if uh, if I could sort of monetize my talent uh, as far as sort of literary uh, traits go, I would like to uh, pursue that in a career. And so journalism seemed natural. And then as the years went on at Michigan State, I discovered and maybe sort of honed in on my appreciation for the environment. And if I could pair those two together, being environmental journalism, that's perfect. The Great Lakes is a hotbed for those stories, and it being such a dynamic topic, uh, I couldn't imagine a better place to actually start writing. So you recently wrote uh, an article for Fox 2 Detroit. Uh, Great Lakes expected to break records in 2020 as Michigan cities struggle to prepare. And this was a fascinating look at current water levels in all of the Great Lakes, but kind of with a focus on Lake St. Clair. How did you come, well, first of all, how did you come across this topic, and how did you get started with this idea? So I'd been seeing reports. There's always U.S. Army Corps reporting lake levels here, there, and I even remember seven, eight years ago, they were super low. They were historically low. And then an unprecedented swing of the pendulum I guess, bounce back to record highs. And I can't imagine, you know, Mother Nature really cares, but we, uh, we, it takes a long time for us to adapt to any environmental struggle. Um, and lake levels going from historic lows to historic highs is pretty crazy. How are we dealing with that? Um, so I imagined, you know, at least looking at numbers right now, all right, they're predicted to be high again. They were already historically high in 2019. What does 2020 look like? about as bad, if not worse, especially for the most populated parts of the state. And that is where uh, Lake St. Clair actually sort of, at least I found the lake uh, in sort of the brief uh, reporting and research that I was doing. So I typed in uh, flood relief on Facebook, Lake St. Clair, something just really basic. And the first post that came up was uh, a woman like desperate looking for help on how to mitigate what was supposed to be another tough year of flooding. So uh, you reached out to her. I did. And what, what is her story? Uh, her name is Nikki Grotus, and she lives at the very end of 10 Mile, uh, basically on a canal. Her house is a little bit different. It's rather unique, but whereas most people have a barrier separating them from the channel, uh, at least for the most people that live in Lake St. Clair, or I guess in St. Clair Shores, rather, uh, her house is the barrier. There is no, nothing separating her basement 
from the canal besides the basement wall. And so uh, after it got really close, flooding was actually coming through her basement, but they didn't quite get to the, the first floor wood paneling that she was concerned about in 2019. She's expecting that to definitely be a possibility in 2020. So I used her as sort of a vessel to talk about essentially all of the issues that a lot of residents are going to be facing, especially on the east side of the state, which if you contrast that with all of Michigan is a, is quite the juxtaposition because in the west side of the state, it's a very different problem. You have erosion versus tourist or not tourists, but residential flooding. It's, it runs the gamut as far as problems go. So, so with Nikki, so living in St. Clair Shore, so you, you 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 followed her a little bit, but that that took you to city leaders, city managers, mm. greater picture things, Army Corps of Engineers. Mm. What what did these people tell you? What are cities doing with with this water level? Um, uh, reacting. Uh, I think that a lot of uh, city managers are recognizing the necessity for being proactive now, knowing that you know Mother Nature doesn't really care what you do uh, and try to protect against her. So uh, in the past, we've always, okay, lake levels are going to get high. They're high. Let's build seawalls. Lake levels went low. Okay, we have to, I don't know, lower docks so ships can come in a little bit easier. But the thing is, is that if you are you know, allocating a certain amount of money to plan for a threat that is going to be changing, it's almost impossible to even plan and justify spending that much money. And what a lot of city managers are doing is having to decide if it's worth spending money on more pumps, if it's worth spending money on raising docks or lowering it. It's, it's, it's almost an impossible situation. Um, uh, what was a little bit uh, less, uh, I guess, ambiguous as far as sort of flood preparing goes is actually down where it floods all the time in Monroe County. I talked to the drain commissioner down there, and he mentioned that he advocated for six new really nice pumps. And after that $250,000 purchase, which is not a small chunk of change in a place where it's not very populated, but always dealing with these issues, uh, they benefited from it immediately. And I think that actually represents a pretty proactive measure in what is such a moving target. Yeah, so I, in in my reporting on, on similar issues, I've talked to city managers, and that's their big struggle is, hey, look, we, we have a subsection of our population that deals with this problem, but it's not everybody. Mm. And so they need to decide is that where we allocate the money? Because whatever money we allocate there is coming away from money that we would otherwise put over here. Mm. And so that's a choice that they have to make. But it's becoming more of a concern for more people in their area. Yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, flooding especially, although I suppose this could go really for any environmental issue, it's indiscriminate. It's going to go wherever. It, it's it's going to be channeled maybe at first using whatever human channeling that we've provided it, but eventually it just overwhelms it. And as you see more extremes happening, uh, you have to take into account that it could strike anywhere. It could be ju- even worse than before, and anyone could be affected by it. It's it, it, it's hard. It's really, really difficult. And I could tell that um, the state, now that it's taking measures to sort of uh, you know move to... Uh, I guess, uh, prepare for these kinds of things, you know, the, the first step they're really trying to, uh, to take is to uh, maybe make the channel between, you know, we need help to the people that can provide that help, uh, make it a little bit more streamlined. But as far as actual solutions going into place, it's hard. 
For sure. And unlike other natural disasters where there's an event, there's one event, it impacts a population, mm-hmm. and they can react to that with funds, whether it be federal money or local money. This is not that. No, no, it's not. Uh, this is this is tricky because it's not an acute event. Um, you know, the, the Great Lakes have been rising for about seven, eight years. Uh and, you know, with that comes more flooding, more erosion, and all the little problems that come in between those two things. And so how do you essentially plan for those kinds of things? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's really tricky. Uh, and so one of the solutions often when it comes to these disasters is for the county commissioner to advocate for a uh, for the governor to declare a state of emergency and that typically happens after big thunderstorms maybe it's a tornado maybe it's a wildfire i don't know something something that fits that metric but unfortunately when it comes to really gradual issues it just takes such a long time to actually develop by the time it's already happening it doesn't really fit the definition of what an emergency declaration would be which is where a lot of funds become unlocked at that point and the water level forecasts, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers released their most recent forecast, mm-hmm. and it is not looking good nope. for those folks that are living near the water. It is expected to go up. The record levels around here, almost universally by Lake 1986. Yes. That's yes. what a lot of people say. I remember 86. That's the record mm-hmm. year. We were very close to that last year, tying it in some, in some months. But all-time records, there's a potential for that to be broken in 2020. Yeah, and so whereas 2019, I believe, and I even wrote it down here, is Superior, Lake, Lake Superior, Lake St. Clair, Erie, they essentially, in, at least in a couple of months, broke their records. They did. Lake Michigan and Huron, which is typically sort of included as one one statistic because they are technically connected, even though they're divided by the Mackinac Bridge, um, they uh, didn't quite hit that limit. It's it's very very likely with each each measurement and prediction that comes through that that will happen again. And unfortunately, that's where most of the people that you know reside along one of these lakes actually live. They're they are the most populated uh, lakes uh, as far as residential goes i suppose yeah even even right now you're, we're looking at water levels that are in some cases over 50 almost 60 inches higher uh than what they call the datum point which is somewhat mm. difficult to to explain in fact when i asked the army corps of engineer to to, to do it uh i got this really convoluted answer but uh, in essence the the short of it is that they are extremely high they are multiple feet above what is considered normal and even on the low end of the forecast, it puts them very close to, if not slightly above the record. You just wrote another article talking about this high water action team. Mm. Uh, tell me a little bit about what that is. Yeah, so that's essentially what's going to, uh, I guess, streamline the concerns that uh, residents are having with uh, the state. And it's supposed to, I think, open up a channel of, of conversation between the people that can actually make decisions and unlock funds for those that actually are in need of it the most. Um, now, I mean, th- that's, a, that's a great way to, uh, I guess, uh, make it easier to get in touch with those individuals, but um, it's, only, it, it's only the start because during that same, uh, I guess, press conference afterwards, it was like a webinar that you could actually listen into. That was one of the solutions that came out of this sort of high water action uh, committee that they were discussing this problem. 
But you had the Department of Transportation executive talking about how they might have to allocate $100 million to deal with some of the infrastructure costs they're going to deal with. You have the, the executive from the DNR talking about how they're going to have to most likely cancel any new projects they had planned this year in order to allocate any extra funds toward uh, mitigating damage away from their state parks. Uh, And I think this really speaks to the fact that even though it might be houses on the coast that are falling into the lakes, um, the water isn't going to just rise on the coast. It's going to bleed into the state as well. So residents inland are not necessarily buffered by this and they might feel a little bit more protection, may feel a little bit safer, but the whole state is just inundated with water. It's, it's not, it has nowhere to go. And as long as it keeps raining and as long as there's not enough precipitation or snowmelt keeps, you know, remaining until it floods and or melts and floods into waterways, it's going to just stay there. Right. And I think listeners might say, well, they've got flood insurance, but – but that's not necessarily the case, or if they do, flood insurance can be extremely expensive. And when you draw a claim on a flood insurance policy, then all of a sudden you can't, you almost can't afford to then have it after that anyway. So mm. you have to be very. I, I've talked to residents that are in areas that ha- are seeing the water rise and that are flooding, and their big concern is if I draw a claim on my already expensive flood insurance, the next time I need it, which could be any time, mm-hmm. I won't be able to afford it. Yeah. I think I saw somewhere that of all the natural disasters that do hit uh, residents, not just in Michigan, but everywhere, flooding is one of the costliest. It, 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 it's, the, it's the costliest. It is, it is that expensive. And, I mean, it's not like flooding is going away. It's getting worse. Right. You can, uh, you can, you can see a tornado you can uh, mm-hmm. you can you know get out of the path of that, but flooding. I mean, you just have a few big rain events which we've seen, mm-hmm. and and that's all it's going to take. The ground's already saturated. We're already surrounded by water here in Michigan. It's going to happen. Yeah. Um, all right. Let me ask you just uh, about a couple more things. You are constantly working on different environmental stories, and you, you're tracking down new things. Uh, what's next from you? What what can we expect to see on Fox2Detroit.com? Ooh, from an environmental perspective. Yeah. Well, I do want to actually dive a little bit more into uh, what the DNR has planned, but uh, this is what I'm, I'm excited about, even though it's definitely not a good thing, is there's a professor up in Michigan State who is talking about, he, he actually maps uh, coastal erosion, and I bet the state has lost quite a bit of land. I tried going camping last year. I couldn't go camping last year. It was underwater. I, the people I went with, they were like, no, 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 we know where it is. And then we got to the point where it was supposed to be, and it was gone. So I have to imagine that the rest of the state is probably shrinking almost. It, it's going underwater. And so I'd like to know, you know, where is it happening the most? How is it happening? I don't know if there's sort of a financial measurement you can have to it, but it's got to be bad because this state is really popular among tourists. It, I mean, the tourism drives this place a lot of the time. And when you don't even have the places that you can allocate for tourists, 
uh, it takes a financial hit, especially in states and or rather in cities and counties that rely on those kinds of funds. For sure. You start thinking and, and talking about beaches on the western side of the state, the mm-hmm. South Havens, the Grand Havens. Heck, I was I vacationed this year with a friend in Muskegon and we got to the beach and it was it couldn't have been more than four feet from from where the beach started <laughs> to where the water was. And, and locals told us it is not normally like this. But you start removing beaches. Mm-hmm. That's going to very much change the fingerprint of towns and, and areas that people go. Yeah. And I, I this is probably secondary to a lot of people's concerns because typically you're always thinking about yourself when you're trying to allocate the best decision moving forward. But I don't know what's happening with all the biodiversity that might be lost, all of the sort of natural features that really contribute to a very balanced ecosystem that Michigan contributes to. Um, I don't know. They're, they might be they, they might not be balanced anymore. They might be lost. They might be cut at the knee. Like it, it, there's so many things that uh, it's hard to quantify because once again, these issues are so indiscriminate. It, it goes wherever it chooses to go. Yeah. Uh, final question, Jack. It there shouldn't be, <laughs> but there often is pushback when it comes to climatological stories and uh, reporting. Uh, it's unfortunate. It's been made it political. Mm. Most of it is science based. Uh, have you ever received any pushback for any of these stories that you've uh, published? You know, a professor back when I was in school, he he talked about a, a specific story where he didn't know where he should bring up the ambiguity of the climate debate. And this was back when there probably was a little bit more debate over the science about it. There's no more debate. And so, frankly, uh, you see how obvious the facts are, and you see that even if people might not want to accept that reality, it is the reality. And so it's not a question I ever consider, uh, you know, offering to individuals, to readers, I think that's almost inappropriate to uh, give them the option to decide whether climate change is real or not. It is real. It is happening. And it's never a question that ever is offered in those stories. Uh, so you don't read the Facebook comments? Oh, I read them. <laughs> oh, I read them. I, I do it just to sort of keep in mind the the individuals that uh, – I guess suppose they have a I have a digital input on things. Granted, I don't know if that's what every reader reader feels. Just the ones that are angriest. <laughs> so he uses them for motivation, folks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> motivation runs with it even harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you, uh, Jack Nissen from Fox Two in Detroit. Thank you. Thank you, Derek. I appreciate it. All right, everybody, I will see you again in uh, about a month or so as we continue to dive a little deeper into the world of weather. Until then, thanks for listening to the Drawcast. I'm Derek Kevra. (laughs) 